0: what a screw up this is
1: uh this meeting is being recorded
2: got it those are the voices of legendary mma characters lou neglia and ray longo and i'm chris weidman this is won't back down presented by BioAccelerator. So Ray Longo, I know most of you guys know because he's my head coach. He's in my corners for every every one of the fights. Um, he has some legendary sayings in between rounds when it comes to my fights. And, you know, everybody loves him. He's he's awesome. But today's show is really about Lou Neglia. So Lou Neglia is an amazing person. He is interesting, fascinating guy with a crazy story. Some of you may have not have heard of him. If you're from New York, you you probably heard of him. Uh, but if you're, if you're from out of state, he was big during the, uh, the times when internet wasn't around. So he really didn't get the exposure that he probably deserved, but he was up in all the different pizzerias and in the bars, you know, there was different posters of him, And he was famous in his own right during his time uh, in New York and especially in Brooklyn. And he happened to be fighting during the times that mafia was at its peak of violence. You know, people were dying, you know, every single day and people were going to jail for life. And it was all people that he knew and people that he was walking by every single day and that he went to school with. And somehow he was able to navigate those borders and stay, stay out of that crime life at a time when it was almost admirable to be a part of it, especially as an Italian kid in, in Brooklyn. You know, It was almost something that you aspire to be. Hollywood was pushing it with all the different movies that were coming out with um, Godfather and Goodfellas. And so for him to be able to stay out of that criminal life um, and his whole his whole environment was saturated with it is an inspiring story um, and he's really stayed true to his values from the beginning um, I, I got to know lou Neglia because he was the promoter of the local mma show called ring of combat um, that i fought my all my fights in before i ended up going to the ufc and that show now has been around for 20 years and most shows you know they come and go every single year you know it's hard to keep a show going that long um and it's, and it's because of the way he treats the fighters and he treats people um he just treats everybody with respect and and return everybody respects him he now has sent 80 fighters to the ufc from the ring of combat there has been multiple world champions uh, in the ufc that came out of the ring of combat me frankie yeager eddie alvarez and matt sarah um, so he's accomplishing such such big things and so i'm really excited for you to hear his story but 1st I wanna talk to you about my presenting sponsor, BioAccelerator. BioAccelerator is the world leader in stem cell therapy and regenerative medical research. Through the use of their powerful golden stem cells, they help patients heal from joint and orthopedic injuries, autoimmune disorders, spine and disc damage, and neurological trauma. I'll actually be heading out to Medellin, Colombia here pretty soon in August, and I'm really excited to get my stem cells and start feeling way better so I could get in that octagon as fast as possible. All right, here's my conversation with Lou Neglia and Ray Longo, which you also can watch over on the Chris Weidman YouTube channel. The premise of my show is like an inspirational story type thing for the most part, and then we BS, but with you, it's almost a, um, it's not, it's a non-traditional inspirational story in my opinion. Um, I feel like as fighters, which obviously I think you're a fighter first, you know, uh, for life. Um, as fighters, most of the time you come from like tougher neighborhoods, and you know you have to make certain decisions and stay away from certain crowds in, in order to you know do the right thing and be successful. Um, and recently, all these all these mafia podcasts have been you know hitting the market, and uh, like one of the number one genres that people are interested in now worldwide is organized crime uh, stories, which is crazy. And it made me start thinking about you because you literally, especially as people start researching more about you know the history of the mafia and where it was at, like you were in the epicenter of it all during the seventies, the eighties, and the nineties in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, uh, Bath Avenue, uh, Gravesend.
0: And, and you know, Chris, Gravesend section of Brooklyn, uh, statistically, in a ten-mile radius, they said more. Family members of the mafia lived in that area than any other place in the United States, which is kind of interesting. And I was right in the heart of Gravesend when I was growing up. But on the plus of that is the neighborhood was one of the safest neighborhoods in the United States. I believe a girl could walk at two in the morning and no one would bother with her, you know, bother her because everybody knew each other. Drug addicts were not allowed to stand on the corners. There was no graffiti in the neighborhood because Everybody was involved with family members. There were five families that lived in that circle, and they all got along with each other at that particular time to some degree. you know. And then, of course, they had troubles within their times. But it was a very safe neighborhood because of the influence of the mafia in that particular area. So I was all around it growing up in in that respect. And some of my closest friends went to jail, and I think the martial arts kind of saved my life at that particular time in my life. And I think three things stopped me from getting involved in the mafia, I think. And some people ask me why, because one of my best friends is in it. And one of them was I saw a martial arts demonstration, and I saw guys fighting like tigers and a violent struggle back and forth, and then rain each other afterward. And I thought that was unbelievable. I thought I had a different perspective of toughness until I saw that particular thing. And I thought I was a tough kid in the streets, but I saw these guys fighting like tigers and rain each other. And after I just fell in love with it. And I think a second reason, and I think sometimes when you see other people claim they're tough. And there's a group of people beating up someone. That's not toughness. Or a guy's in fear and he lets someone beat him up because he's fearful of that guy. When you see real guys fighting like yourself and real fighters, that was so impressive to me. I fell in love with the martial arts. And then a good friend of mine, Joey Abadi, was my best friend. He went to jail for counterfeiting. And that kind of reminded me I don't want that kind of lifestyle. And I would have done the time, like a sender person would do, but I don't want to take four years of my life. I, I was struggling to uh to work and go to school i was training i don't want to lose four years of my life and probably the most significant thing that kept me away from that lifestyle was the code that they had that if you were summoned by them and your wife was having a baby you would have to leave if they told you to kill your brother you had to kill your brother and this was a firm code that they had and i knew i couldn't do that you know and i'm not saying uh that was the main reason but it definitely was one of the main reasons why i could never get involved in that lifestyle and they lived by that code and it was not a code that I would want to follow.
2: Yeah. It's it's amazing that like I have this vision of you, you know, being in, in your gym. I know you started in 1973, right? That's That's
0: right. 1973
2: in the heat of all this. And you're in there, you're hitting the bag. You got your gear on, you're, you're working your ass off. And then you walk outside your gym and right there next to you is, is kids about, you're probably your same age, wearing beautiful suits, nice jewelry. They got all these girls around them and you're an Italian guy. And there was, there was almost like a, uh, you know, people aspire to be in the mafia at that point, I think, especially I'm guessing in your area, because the movies that were coming out, you know, the Godfathers and Goodfellas and the Bronx tales and the casinos. And it's like, how did you, yeah. How did you stay away from that when it was, it looked like easy. And you're a street guy. It's not like you're a doctor or a lawyer, a banker. That's not you. You are a blue collar guy, I think just naturally. And I think it would be easy for you to just jump right in there. You know how to make money. You're a smart dude. You can play a street game, you know, and it just looks like it would be second nature for you to jump in there and make that money and be right in there.
0: And I, I go back to, I think what I was saying before, I think I'm a man of my word. And if I joined, I would have to follow that code. And I knew I couldn't follow that code in reference to sometimes having to kill a family member or leaving your family. If they're in distress, when they call you, when they summon you, you had to go. So I think that code was one that I knew I couldn't follow for sure.
2: Yeah. Uh, I think we'll get back to more stuff with, with the crime stuff, but moving forward, and I, and I feel like this would be, at least in my head, obviously I'm younger than you, but I've heard from guys, you know, a little older than me who were around watching you when you were, you know, in your prime and coming up in the kickboxing r- rankings. Um, so you're from this crime-ridden area. You're Italian, and at that point, you know, Italians, you know, mafia is, a, you know, something they should de- definitely, you know, consider. And then you are you started kickboxing, and you were a trailblazer for it at the time. You know, kickboxing wasn't very popular, at least in the New York area. And next thing you know, you're in pizzerias on you know posters and you're in the bars on these posters and everyone in the area is knowing you, including all these gangsters, I'm sure. And you start winning these big fights. You get put into movies. Um, it's crazy all the success you've had while being next to all these people who are kind of going down the wrong path. And I think and they, were
0: very, they were very supportive too. I mean, they would buy blocks of tickets, sometimes fifty tickets, <laughs> and just give them weight to, to their uh, friends and whatever. So you know, at sometimes we had three or four different families at these fights, and they were very supportive of me, and they were very proud of uh, the accomplishments. And and I'm hoping that some of the kids in the neighborhood also uh, were influenced by that. They saw that there was another way to be successful other than being in the mob, you know, and And later on, I got a Corvette and I was very proud of that as my first uh, or second nice car. And I think uh, by having some success and them seeing my lifestyle, they saw that there's another way to maybe be successful and have the good things that they thought maybe only the mob lifestyle would offer them.
2: I bet like jealousy, though. I mean, you are actually going out there and beating people up legitimately one-on-one. And you got these mob guys who are beating people up on the streets, but it's a lot of intimidational type behavior. They could... They could obviously threaten you. They got guns. Everyone's getting shot at that time. I know, you know, it wasn't like a normal neighborhood where it's, you know, bad. Like people were dying, you know, and people are going to jail for life. And you're having this success, you know, as as this tough dude, were you never somebody that they almost were intimidated by to where now they were going to try to show you, hey, we're the real boss around here. You might do it in the cage, but we'll, I mean, in the the ring, but you better be careful outside outside of that.
0: Well, you know, I had two kind of sit downs and I was involved in a situation. I'll talk about that in a second. But I think for some reason, you know, they knew I never bullied anybody around, you know, with whatever ability I had at the time. So I, they did have a lot of respect. And there was a book that came out, The Life. And They said I had I was treated like royalty in the neighborhood. And I think it was just respect because they knew, again, I never abused whatever ability I had. But there were two instances that I had an encounter with two guys that weren't May guys, but they were May guys. And we had a sit down over it. And one thing about the mob back in that day, if you were right, you were right. You know, and they kind of followed that that theory. And I hit a guy once. And the only reason I hit him was I was teaching at my school. and One of my students who was a about a tough kid comes into the school, all bloodied up. And I said, what happened? He said, I was at a block party. I was fighting a kid who was only 16 years old. And the father started crashing uh, a garbage pail over my head. I jumped in my car. I had a call at a time. I go off the block the wrong way. And I jump out. A guy's name was Batista at the time. And uh I go to the guy, what was the point of you hitting this kid? I said, the kids were fine. If I'm a parent, I break it up. I don't hit the kid with a garbage bill. He gets up, pulls his hand back. And I hit him in the face with a backhand. I split his lip there. And all of a sudden, his wife, i be saying, you know who this guy is? We're going to blow up your school. And I was living at my school at the time. So the next morning, I'm in my school, and I see two guys walk in my school. And I knew they were kind of wise guys. And... I said, listen to me. I says, I've been in this neighborhood a long time. I says, and this guy was definitely a thousand percent wrong. I said, and they sat down and they said, we wanted to die. I said, it's dead. I says, and it, it was over with. And they kind of didn't want trouble. Maybe they felt I had some following too. Cause I had a lot of friends, you know, in the neighborhood too. And they let it go. So I think they realized that I was right. Another situation I was at my club. I had a, a club, Christopher's in uh, Brooklyn. and I had a bouncer, uh, Walheim, his name was. And he fought George Foreman years ago. And he's at the door. And he's stopping a guy from coming in because the guy didn't want to pay. And all of a sudden, they call me and I come up and I see this guy yelling, you know who I am. And anybody that talks like that is nobody because the, the people that have a name uh, or any influence will not talk that way. Yeah. And he said, I'm going to break this guy's head. He won't let me in. I said, let me tell you. Said, you're not coming into this place. He's doing his job. And the guy makes a motion forward and I kicked him in the groin. And he pulled <laughs> down. And then, again, I could have followed up with it, but I didn't. And they took him away. And, again, people were talking, oh, my God, this guy's with this guy, this guy. And the next two days, I get summoned to meet with some people. And we sit down. I said, let me tell you. the guy." And they slapped the guy in front of me for acting the way he did. So, again, there was always a code that they had. So maybe that's why they didn't bother me in the neighborhood because they knew I wasn't doing anything wrong in that respect. So I'm, I'm hoping that's the reason that it was. They respected the fact that, you know, uh, I didn't do anything wrong in the neighborhood and I didn't use my influence in a negative way.
2: I mean, going into those sit downs. Wait,
0: that... let me tell you another thing on, on top of that. And on a good note, uh, there was a student of mine, I can't mention his name cause it's like, kind of like a history in Brooklyn. Rocco was one of my black belts and he was shooting all firecrackers in, in the neighborhood and there were mob guys in the house next to him. And some of the firecrackers went off in that yard and they came out and he starts saying, uh, Fuck you, it's 4th of July and whatever. And these were wise guys, real wise guys. And all of a sudden, someone pulled out a gun, everybody scattered. And the next day, a group of them came to my club and said, how close are you uh, to Rocco I said, He's like, my son. I said, he's been with me 15 years. And they said, Will you vouch for him? And I said, yes. And vouching for him means that he would never cross the line again. He would apologize to them. And I brought him down to the club. And I didn't know what was going to happen. They could have shot him right there. And they shook hands. And to this day... He became close friends with them. They got him a job in the union. So it's interesting how sometimes the influence I had in the neighborhood helped some people, you know, and in this case, it saved his life because they were putting a hit on him.
2: Yeah, it is crazy. I, I've heard a lot of stories. I mean, some from Ray, some from some of your uh, son's uh, uh, friends, but that you always stay true to yourself among like this whole thing and um, always stuck up for the underdogs. There was a lot of people that may have came to you, you know, they're they're, they're kind of, you know, in a bad position and you were willing to stand up against some you know scary
0: people because you thought it was what was right well i believe it was right at the time and and it happened to work out but you know you know they did have a lot of respect back in the day and i think you know the admiration of respect is based upon your ability maybe your actions and accomplishments and uh and your qualities and at at the time i mean May guys back in the day, and I think it changed a lot, but May guys, you know, they did a lot of help in the neighborhood also, and they gave jobs to people, great union jobs, a lot of kids in the neighborhood got. And sometimes they got paid for it, but almost like the government, you know, they pick up your garbage, but they get taxed. So they did sometimes charge people, other times they did them for nothing, but uh, they did help a lot of people in the neighborhood, the real old timers, and uh, people that had problems would come to them, and they would fix the problems. And uh, back in the neighborhood, you know, if you had a problem, you'd go to a wise guy, and they would help you out with it a lot of people in the neighborhood sought their help and got the help from them so they did do a lot of good things in the neighborhood also
2: yeah i mean how about about like mm-hmm. with all your businesses you you're an entrepreneur you know you've obviously ring a combat i'll go into that a little bit um i know it has a crazy and you're one of
0: my favorite yeah. alumni from marine combat i'm very proud of your and success
2: and i'm very proud to come from marine combat that's how great of a of a program that is um and it's amazing what you've done with that because you there's there's so many different promotions that that you've that we've all seen come come and go over the years. I mean, you've been now around for 20 years as a local promoter, and uh, you stayed in your lane, which was super smart. It wasn't like I want to compete with Dana White, you know, or I want to compete with the UFC or Bellator or whatever. You were all about the fighters. You were giving us a, an opportunity to to thrive on a local scene against the best fighters in the world, the best fighters around. I mean, you were flying people in and. No matter what, if if someone was in a contract or what, there was no question of if the UFC wanted us or Bellator wanted us or World Series of Fighting or something, something that you see, you know, it's something bigger moving forward. You had no issues. You were never holding a fighter back. You were never like, "Now, Chris Weidman, you just won this championship. I see you as a potential UFC fighter and a potential champion. I'm going to keep you here with me and we're going to make money together as opposed to just saying, nope, I, I hope the best for you, which is so crazy. And I think that's a big part of your success and why you've been able to keep that promotion going so long and so successfully. Successfully, yeah. what, eighty Just give a quick history. 80 fighters now from, I think it may be more, at least on the website, 80 fighters that had fought in ring of combat have gone on to the UFC. They've, they've been multiple champions. Me, Frankie Edgar, Matt Serra, Eddie Alvarez have become champions. Um, me, Matt, and uh, Frankie were all champions in ring of combat and then moved on to UFC and became champions there. And Eddie Alvarez, I think, just had a couple of fights.
0: His first pro fight was with uh ring in Combat also, for sure. And Frankie Edgar, some of his early fights were over Ray Combat. I'm very proud of that Ray in Combat alumni. And I ripped up five contracts that I had with fighters uh, when they got called for the UFC. And one of them called me up and said, yeah, I called for the UFC. I guess I go in, you know, in September or whatever. I said, you're going in now. I said, because that was my goal to help uh, fighters pursue their passion. I really enjoyed that. And, and I think, you know, when you're successful in the martial arts or had any success in the martial arts, I think it's, it's something that you want to give back. And, and that was a way of giving back to fighters, helping them pursue their passion, which I know was the greatest pleasure in my life. When I was deciding what to do, my father said, uh, you want to be a fighter? You out of your mind. That's so stupid. My brother was a lawyer. My daughter, my sister worked in uh, wall street. And even though he had good advice, no one could tell you what you really want to do to make you happy. And I could please him and family, but if you don't please yourself, you'll never be happy. So, uh, and then later on, he became my biggest fan. In an interview, he said, "Yeah, I always wanted to be a fighter." He was lying because he never thought he'd be a fighter, but he meant well. And our parents <laughs> yeah. always mean well, you know. But you know, you and your heart have to know what you want to do to make you happy. And uh, so, after I had whatever success I had in my field, I was happy to help fighters pursue their passion. And I knew that that was their greatest pleasure. You can give a fighter like yourself and other fighters multi-million dollars for the feeling you have when you win a championship or if you win a fight and all that. And you know, money can't buy that feeling. I was just happy to be part of someone else's passion and pursuing that passion.
2: Yeah. And that's obviously another a morally good thing that you're doing that most people wouldn't do at this point. They have an opportunity to make extra money and maybe even take a percentage of this kid's earnings moving forward, even if you were to let him out of the contract and find the UFC. All right, I'm gonna take 30% of your earnings moving forward if I let you out of this contract. I mean there's a lot of local promoters that have done that and probably still are doing that and for you not to go down that road i think it's just you're a good dude you know you're a good guy
0: thank you for that chris i think you know too you know doing good you know they say do good feel good and it's so true there's guys that are millionaires that committed suicide you know when you can't really buy a good feeling or good moments in your life and you got to create them and do them you know and i think doing good you feel good and at the end of the day you should feel better than you felt when you woke up because when you wake up in the morning you have a whole day ahead of you you could act with honor integrity you could be lazy you could be whatever But at the end of the day you know you'd feel better if you had that day and mapped it out the proper way so i think at the end of the day i always say you should feel better at night than you did when you woke up you know if you lived a good life and a good day that particular day yep i'm with you
2: uh, let's stick with the let's stick with the promotion. So let's go to the early days. Throw Longo in here too, because you guys were partners early on. At the, it was at the Vanderbilt and Huntington, right, for a while.
0: Well, we met even uh, before that. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, I actually
2: went to that show. I might have been 12, 13 years old, and I was in one of the sky boxes, and I had no idea who you guys were at the point at that time. But it was my first time seeing any type of martial arts combat at that level, where there was everything going on in there. I but love what that a bit. scene! What a scene it was. Yeah. Uh, even for me at that age, I was like, you know, it was unbelievable. So, yeah, give me, what What was that like starting up a promotion and then moving forward to the point that you're at now? And then also curious if, like, if the mob guys at all were trying to lean on you, take try, you know, they see your success, uh, they trying to lean on you, try to get percentages and all that stuff.
0: You know, that never happened, and I don't know if it's because they respected me or they gave me a pass, I don't know, because at the time, they were getting involved with a lot of other businesses and getting what they call a tax tax. Uh, but they never bothered me in anything that I did, and I never asked why. I just enjoyed the fact that it wasn't affecting me, you know, at, at that particular time. And uh, and we had a lot of guys in the club that I had and came to shows and all that, and, and they left it kind of alone. So, and, and you know, one night at the club, just go back to that, and then we'll come back to the martial arts promotion. Yep. The guy walks in, and he says – Oh my God, you're going to have trouble tonight. He pointed to 10 guys at the bar that were known troublemakers. And those, I said, Really? I said, Those guys have been coming to my club for six months and they've been acting like gentlemen. So it was just something that happened. And then one guy, I see two guys arguing, and both of them are half a wise guy. I say half a wise guy, meaning they're not me, but they're friends of them, you know? Yeah. And the guy's name was Jimmy. <laughs> and, I, and he knows I talk about this story because it's really kind of, you can't make this stuff up. So he's in this guy's face and they're arguing. I said, Jimmy, you can't do it over here. I knew he was about to hit the guy okay, Lou, and he leaves. About 10 minutes later, cops, have, I hear sirens in the neighborhood, and the girl gives me the phone and says, you got a call. And uh, the guy, Jimmy, I said, Jim, uh, he said, Lou, out of respect for you, I shot the guy three blocks away instead of shooting him in the club yeah. there. <laughs> you can't make that up, you know?
2: Only but, now can uh, you actually tell these type of stories. Yeah, it's right, crazy. It's amazing. You know, that was
0: 30 years ago, you know, and uh, it was interesting. The guy left, and then Jimmy – leaves the other guy leaves and then they encountered whatever they did outside the club there but uh i uh, no, i was very fortunate not to have them get involved in anything in reference to what i was doing and i started a promotion back in brooklyn you know and once i stopped fighting i missed it so much it's such a hard thing to decide to when to stop and rocky graziano was probably one of the guys that gave me the best advice at the time and he came to a lot of my fights because he was from brooklyn and he said, you won the championship, you defended it three times. Why don't you stop and open up a school and use your name? Because he knew my name was pretty popular in Brooklyn at the time. And I took it as advice. It was the best thing I ever did because I uh, my school was very successful. And uh, But it's such a hard thing to do and know when to stop doing something you love. You know, fighting is like a party. You never you never want to leave a good party. Yeah. And uh, so back in the day when I opened up my school, I enjoyed that, but I still missed the fighting. So then I started promoting. I did it on a local basis. I met Ray. He had a couple of fighters, uh, Mike Ryan, who became a champion too. That's I think was yeah. that beginning. I think Mike Ryan and other fighters that Ray had came to my shows. And at the time, yeah, he
2: was a, he was a beast, Mike Ryan, right? Like spin yeah, back, definitely. back yeah, fist but, or back kick? Which one spin, was? He?
0: Spin back fist and spin back kick.
1: He yeah. was he was he was good and a great boxer. Great hands, very slick. I mean, just I, I thought he was. Mike was a real neighborhood badass, and he was a really
0: tough fighter. And he really reminded bad. me of Chris in some ways. That if Mike would yeah. get hit, he would grind his teeth. When I first saw you fight on my shows, I saw the same thing. You know, sometimes a guy gets hit, he gets a little negative, he gets a little cautious. Mm-hmm. But I saw you and him, and I knew that you were going play. I knew he was going places also because of that fighting spirit that you had, and just grind your teeth when someone hits you and say, "Oh, really?" Yeah. You know, not not the negative, go forward and, and all that. Mm-hmm. So I think I met Ray through the promotion, and we're talking about thirty years ago, yeah, thirty-five like,
1: where, years ago. we're you know I remember. I sent Mike to his school to spar one time, and I remember he comes back and goes, "Man, I don't know, man." He goes, "I don't know if that's sparring or whatever." And I go, "Really? I'll go with you next time." And I'll never forget this. We go in, and I'm
2: talking all right, out. So Broadway. you're with Mike Ryan. You're bringing yeah, him I, to I, I to take Mike
1: into Brooklyn, and you know, just being in Brooklyn at that time was crazy. You're
2: in. <laughs> what you year know, are we talking right now? What? Are, what? Are, what? Are the 80s.
1: I'm going to say early, early, early. early wow. Definitely I'm going to say wow. 85, 86, 80 You know, right there. So it was. I was uh, two,
2: just to give a good reference. Yeah, <laughs> oh,
0: that's
1: great. That look low. at me, I'm a
2: host of a podcast. Yeah. What's up, little boys? That's great.
1: That's <laughs> well, great. I, I didn't like that thing where you were at the Vanderbilt. And you were twelve, and yeah. <laughs> even that was bad. I was like, I saw uh, you start
2: lowering in the seat. You disappeared at that point.
1: <laughs> but I remember watching that first round of sparring. You got to remember, we're in Brooklyn. Uh his school, like, the lighting was dim. There's blood all over a, a white canvas mat I'm like, That's badges oh. of honor. That blood yeah, was
0: badges yeah. of honor. My students loved that. When I closed my school and we took the uh, uh ring down, everybody took a piece of that canvas because they had so many memories from it. Yeah, so I mean, he, I can't
2: believe, I'm just proud of Ray for being the rich kid from Long Island going all the way to Brooklyn and not being afraid. <laughs> but,
0: <laughs> but it's, it's funny, though, made down, it feel safe. But, yeah,
1: no, nobody grew up poor to me, but that's beside the point. But, uh, <laughs> uh but anyway he comes back after the first round I go mike this ain't sparring this this is a fucking fight like this isn't even and then that was it i go you gotta change you know just gotta go after everybody and then he so, became oh so ripped.
2: was that that wasn't a thing though even for you guys back on long island you guys weren't killing each other at that point
1: not at that point i mean i did you know i really learned a lot from lou especially in that you know aspect of fighting is that you know it was different back then you it, the sparring was different I'm going to say even then today now it's more sophisticated we're way smarter we know yeah. about cte we're going to take yeah. certain precautions and everything but back then it was just something that uh a fight
0: it was really yeah, a fight. it was, it was a violent violence. struggle with yeah, two guys yeah, yeah, yeah. you know you
1: weren't you weren't sparring we went there to fight at that point and it was okay with him so i go you know and mike was a really he was a tough he was a badass and uh and that was it, man. I'll never forget that. That first day, I was like, "Wow,
0: this is this is different." <laughs>
2: what were the What were the rules? Was it Was a kick it kickboxing? Everything, yeah, no, kickboxing. Yeah, yeah, everything.
0: It was kickboxing, but there was ball. no quitting. No one would ever say, "I can't do it anymore." They would finish that round no matter if they had one arm left to strike. Yeah. You know, so it was really a, a. But I do believe at that particular time, you know. Uh, that fighting spirit you develop from Spawn, you know, the training was harder than the fight that you would encounter later on, you know, and I think uh, that was very important at the time. And And even though science is very important, stamina is very important, you can't beat fighting spirit. I mean, that's going to pull you through. That, as you know, and all good fighters know, and that's what we yeah. developed a lot in yeah. Brooklyn. And, and the- Chris, but just to add to the,
1: the to what we've been talking about too, and even when I would go down there, I mean, there were guys telling me, "You go, you go down to Brooklyn." He goes, "You know, people get killed down there every day. They don't even report about it because I mean, I'm telling you, like they were." You go very missing
2: sometimes too. That's they were
1: the very reason. intimidated. The things they said about Lou and I was like, "Man, I, I, I don't. I love this guy. I don't really know why anybody would say anything and." uh the thing, even when we became partners, I was training, uh, I wasn't training them, but this kid, one of Lou's students became a doctor. He's one of the top orthopedists. So I think you met him, Robin Gurman. Yeah, Robert Mann. Robert Mann. Mann Bart, right, right. I, he's Robert Gurman is his uh, name. And I don't know if there was you know, divorce or divorce whatever the father. thing was, but he would come down. He was going to University of Pennsylvania, I believe, and he would drive down. I'd spar him on Sunday nights, getting him ready for a tie fight. And he was a great kid. I really nice loved this kids. kid he came too a couple great. of times. And then I went to watch him fight. He ended up winning the amateur uh Thai boxing cha- uh, title. So shout out to Robin Gurham. But while I was there, I sat next to his mom and what a sweetheart this lady was. And all she talked about was Lou Neglia, how he saved the kids in the neighborhood. I think she said her son was dyslexic and Lou encouraged this kid to keep going. And now he's one of the top orthopedists in the country. And she just went on and on on how he was like a father figure to a lot of kids that didn't have fathers and they had problems in the neighborhood. And I was like, I'm sold, man. I, 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 always, I liked him before, but this just put the icing on the cake. I was like, I don't know what these people are talking about. Uh, I, I just uh, thought he was a great guy. And she really, after that meeting, I said, why don't we do something on Long Island, man? Because we were at a place, he was promoting fights at Lemire. It was like a catering like bowl. a little catering hall. Uh, the chandelier, basically, Chris, was on your head when you were in the
0: Ram Lake. <laughs> you couldn't do any jump kicks. You'd hit the chandelier. Yeah, he's going to deny all
1: this, but I, I saved works for me. I don't jump. He'll deny uh, this, Chris, but I saved his life. Yeah, I brought okay. him out to Long Island. And then, uh, well, I think we started doing shows at Holy Cross High School. We did a well, couple mean, of mini-ola. shows. What about Mineola? We well, go that, was, that was way after. Yeah, okay. But, uh, all right. And then we went to the Huntington Hilton and then they were building the Vanderbilt. And I think it was uh, Scott Burback said, you know, I have a connection over there. They, they want you to do shows. And then that was it. That Vanderbilt became, uh, one well, of the best venues. Yeah. For sure. I mean, that, with the, like you said, with the sky box, a very exciting place. And I think that's how we really got started together was just really moving to Long Island and getting a broader base of people coming to the fights. But, one of the things people don't realize is that you know, even it was me and him, but when we did the Holy Cross shows, we were walking up and down the block, stapling those flyers to the polls. Now I was already had a D
2: Lago, there's <laughs> no way you were up early. I, know, I, know, he, I know, but like people, he got lazy later on. Yeah, they, they he, was, like, he wasn't always like that. No, 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 definitely not. <laughs> no. And nah.
1: I did that, uh but you know what I'm saying? So people don't see that though, but we really grinded it out. Building a following, and then we had a really great local following between the fighters I was trained, and the fighters he was trained. They brought big crowds. We just out
0: fighters alone. Our own, yeah, like teams. Even, like
1: my know, guys would fight. always fight his guys. You know, we always we didn't know. give a shit. Like my you guys, guys
2: stayed friends, which is interesting too. Like obviously there's, yeah, 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 there could be a rivalry between one of your guys oh, and, and we'd his guy. We
1: would watch fights. Afterwards, we'd scream at each other. Oh, he's winning. No, he's winning. And we yeah. just go back and forth. It
0: was crazy, but it was a lot of fun and uh we have and a- you know from the martial arts i'm very proud of the relationship that you know you develop with people too like Ray's one of my best friends and i sure and Ray's a man of his word and and through the martial arts you know so many positive things happen in my life friendships even with yourself mm-hmm. i consider you a friend and ray which i know for many many years and uh and that's why it's nice to give back something sometimes we'll tell the students the same great advice like with that story about man and robin man that his mother and father tell, but sometimes they'll listen to us more. And it's just great that we're able to sway them, you know, in a, in a positive way, going off drugs or whatever it might be. So I'm just glad that, you know, that influence of the martial arts and that relationship with the martial arts opened up so many doors to do other things and develop friendships and help people.
1: Yeah. And, and he really, from the, the first time I met, he loved kids. He loved that kids class. And you know, Chris, I'm not really big on teaching the kids, but he would always try to help. Me. Here's what you got to do. Did they, I mean, he'd give me sheets like, did they do their laundry? Did yeah. they help Did they help their parents out? You know, he had this whole no, he, he right did. He
2: didn't, you didn't pay attention to any of that stuff. I didn't pay attention uh, that
1: part I didn't pay attention to. But I, I really did – I always loved it, and I respected it, but I was yeah. going a different route. I just yeah. went right to – you know, I loved training, and I loved the guys that were fighting. And yeah. uh, thank God I found a way to make it without ever really having a big kids program. But he had a great, great system with that where you could see it was – you would want your kids in that school because there were, he was going to stay on top of you. You had to come in and you had to say, did you study, you know, three days a week? Did you do your laundry? What chores did you do? Right. Am I wrong? And yeah. I like,
0: you have like a sheet. I have a like, sheet. It was called a to-do list that the kids would have to take the sheet home and the parents would have to check off what they did. And I said, you know, your parents have done more for you than anybody else in the world. You could never pay them back with money, but you could pay them back with respect. And on that sheet was clean your dishes, clean your room, do the laundry or put it in a basket. And the mother would come back and say, I can't believe this kid's doing this, you know? And I think it was like I said before, sometimes you give them the same great advice that the parents give, but they listen to someone else faster sometimes. And I think uh, that's great. One student passed the bar, this guy, uh, Jeremita, he became a lawyer and he said... influence of the martial arts and the discipline as you know it it helps all aspects of life it's one of the greatest things you could do as a kid or as an adult a discipline and hard work ethics and responsibility and confidence and and all the other thousand other things that it develops you know and i'm just glad that we are able to pass it on to people teaching you know i got as much satisfaction teaching as i did when i was fighting and you know it, it really adds a lot of positivity to your life in that respect
2: yeah, no, I agree. Um, but at what point were you, uh, did you, what time, did? when did you end up retiring? And did you start promoting fights when you were still fighting? Like, I know you, you know, when no, you, you were straight first, up fighting and then went into right, over the promotion. And and you know,
0: it's kind of weird. You know, when I was fighting, I was like obsessed with it. You know, I wouldn't go to weddings. I wouldn't do I was so locked into it, you know, that nothing really mattered, you know, and I'm not saying it's good or bad it's Just the where I was. And I think everybody wants to be successful, but most people don't want to make the sacrifices. Yeah. I never wanted to be that guy that they make the sacrifice. I never walked in a fight that I didn't do my stamina work or I didn't do enough sparring or something. So I really got too obsessed with it. It's a miracle that my kids are still with me because even though I saw them, you know, during fight time, I was a different person, but I yeah. tried to make up with them afterwards, you know, and I think yeah. they appreciated that. And it worked out well, because we were very close, but it was, uh, so once I stopped fighting, then I did my school, and then, as I had my school, I had a lot of fighters that were interested in fighting, and then I started promoting. And then I met yeah. Ray later on, and we became partners in promotion yeah. and also great friends.
2: Well, yeah, you definitely have that that passionate energy, and I, and you become obsessed, and nothing else matters. I mean, I see that with uh, even with the Ring of Combat going to your house and how much you're all over the thing. I mean, Ray mm-hmm. might be your partner, but let's let's be honest, <laughs> who's the workhorse? Who's the workhorse in that in that water. business?
0: What's yeah. that? you know they say silent ponder yeah uh, he fits into that category but in other areas but anyway but he, yeah. he does,
2: he every he once in a while he th- pops th- up you know and, and, and Chris,
1: talk about being intimidating man like again i i'm gonna say my high school was a, a wealthy high school my area was the poor area that went there but nothing i went to his i remember when i first met him <laughs> i went to his house one night we were discussing a fight and he had his buddy over there and the guy, was show, he, he was shot like 12 times. He was showing me all his... <laughs> dookie, Yeah, his buddy, his best friend, showed me all his bullet wounds. I was like, what the hell am I getting into? This you're
2: showing the- him your nunchuck videos. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. He, he counters that with the bullet wounds. Like, I, show right, him, I, gotta I,
1: go. I showed him a go. black guy, and he showed me eight bullet holes. I was like, wow, this guy is
0: unbelievable. You know, I think, Chris, you know, back in the day, some of those guys that everybody's talking about, they were like, when you meet them, they were really good guys in, in one respect. were great, great guys. Their word meant so much. If they told you, you didn't have to fucking write it down. You didn't have to do anything. You knew that was going to be what it was going to be at the end of it. I remember signing a contract the guy gave me 10 pages i didn't even I just shook the guy's hand and i said that that's enough for me like and back in the day that's the that way it was i think unfortunately the mob today has changed i think cuz of nepotism and people getting in sooner than they should be in cuz they're friends or family i think it changed a lot but you know respect at that time you know was totally different a man of your word you know was everything if you did the crime he did the time was everything you know so it was a different i think breed back in the day but you would love this guy he's talking about Dookie for sure Yeah. (laughs) yeah, He's that type of guy, you know, in the sense of, you know, he says what it is, et cetera, et cetera.
2: It is crazy that, you know, the mafia at that time, obviously, were doing some terrible things, but they did have a moral compass that they stood by. And it did, you know, evolve to being a part of the culture of the neighborhood kids. So there was some, I guess, good things that that came out of the mafia. Would you? Is that fair to say? Or is that...
0: They helped a lot of people in the neighborhood. There are people that got jobs that they're still on, union jobs with retirement and all that. And, and the mob was very tight with the unions. And the person they were going to kill, that kid, Rocco <laughs> they went on to give him a job. And he's their best friend. And they realized he was a good kid. I knew he was. And... We spared his life, you know, in, in that respect. And he worked for them within the unions and wound up becoming very close to them. So it's interesting. He did do a lot of good things in the neighborhood. Yeah, and on another note,
1: too, I did do, like, six – I mean, I, I was seven years in the corporate I thought world. you were going to say in jail. I don't yeah, know, yeah, you know, this I, guy's trying to one-up yeah, you now. Like, I did my, seven my,
2: years uh, in jail. I'm from a terrible neighborhood. Uh, I, I, I did, like, like
1: seven or eight years in the corporate world. I'm going to tell you something. Man, the loyalty of some of the guys outside, I mean, like, that was brutal. Yeah. run in, in in that life. That life was crazy, man. You get axed, you get fired like immediately. I mean, it was no, I remember a guy that mentored me in the, like the accounting, they just let the guy go. And I'm like, the guy's been here 20 years. Like it was, that's really when I decided I'm getting the hell out of him. I want to direct my own future and, you know, be an entrepreneur and I'll live and die by whatever I do, but I'm not going to put it in somebody else's hands. And uh, so just because you're not like you're squared away or you appear to be squared away. That's not always the case, but I, mean, I had guys that I grew up with that the loyalty was phenomenal. Like there, there's no, I would trust some of these guys with my life. Mm. And I couldn't, I can't say that about one guy I worked with in the corporate world. So not, yeah. not that I'm passionate, but it's not just because a guy has a suit on and he's going, you know, goes to a big building and does work. Doesn't mean that guy's not going to stab you in the back either. Yeah. And, uh, you know, especially, Chris, at a time now where, you know, you know, you see the crimes rampant in, in Manhattan. I'm sure it's one of the reasons probably you got the hell out of here. And, uh, you know, you call a cop now. Nobody wants to do nothing. They're afraid of going to jail. So, yeah. you know, like and what is
2: coming back in, I think.
1: I tell you what, who said at the beginning? Look, they good kept in, the neighborhood clean. My <laughs> point is there's good and bad with everybody. Right. Yeah. But, man, when you can walk down in your street at three in the morning and not worry about anything.
2: Yeah. That's, that's not bad.
1: Good, you're not doing that today. I'll yeah. tell you right
2: now. So, Well, in South Carolina, good. I'd like to, like to differ. It's perfect out here. <laughs> Very peaceful. Very peaceful. People smile at you, and then they uh, wave to you, and they're not, they're not being disrespectful.
0: They're just being nice. Um, but whatever neighborhood they were in, it was a clean neighborhood, without a doubt. There's no question. Back in the day, anyway.
2: Yeah, that's, that's crazy that they were able to keep the values of the area. Like that. Even when I was growing up, like some of the people that I knew were involved with the mafia. Obviously, it was not on the level of well, you know what you guys had to deal with in the 70, 80, 70s and eighties. But even the nineties, early two thousands, some of the guys that I knew that yeah, were involved. Age yeah, you know, keep falling
0: no, no, no. back into this age, two years old, twelve years old. <laughs> what can be, I
2: say? What can I say?
0: We're in the womb. you I
2: mean, you I know you're I, somehow you're older than Longo, but you don't look like it. Like, I mean, what are you... Conno's <laughs> got a problem. He does red light therapy every day. He's tanning uh, in the backyard. You better yeah. be... You
1: better hope in five years I don't look younger than
2: you. That's all you should worry about. I know. My gray hair is killing me. I don't uh, dye my hair like you.
0: Oh, yeah. Exactly. You're <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. Um, what, was, what the hell? I lost my train of thought. Where,
0: where was it Back going? Back in the day you were saying...
2: Oh, yeah. Like, the mafia guys, though. Like, I didn't mind being around them. I didn't... Like, there. there's some other type of people that... I knew to stay 100%. away from because they're unpredictable. Like I, I, that's what I didn't like. It was, uh, you know,
0: well, people, my best friend. And
2: the other, that, and the next day, they're stabbing you in the back. I don't. Yeah. I, I always kept distance from guys like that. But the guys who were the like the mafia, mafia guys, I wasn't. They were pretty normal people. That if you disrespected them, you know then you yeah. would have a problem. But other than that, if you're a good dude, they were going to treat you, you know, with respect.
0: And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but you know, from their code that they live. And even when they shoot someone, you know, they would say he shot himself, but he knew the code that we live by and he broke that code. It's interesting, you know, their way of thinking about that, you know, they believe I'm talking about old school that, you know, if you broke that code, you deserve the consequences of it, you know, yeah. and they truly believe that.
2: Now, so you stuck up for all these underdogs um, and, you know, people that were going through tough times and. You know, maybe people are getting bullied, but a lot of what the mafia did was some bullying tactics. So it was almost like anti-mafia tactics is what you were living by as well. Was that was that ever like a, an issue or like where you had to, you were backing somebody up for the right reasons and it, it, it ended up,
0: you know. It's probably why I never got involved in that because some of the things they do, you know, and uh, as I say, you know, in some ways I praise them in other ways, you know, it's just not the way I would operate there, you know. And I, I like creating history with people. I think uh, that's one of our greatest accomplishments in life. I have students that for the rest of their lives will talk about things that happened, you know, and the history we created. So I agree with what you're saying, and that's why I never became part of them because I respect them in one area and didn't agree with them in other areas.
2: Yeah, that's definitely uncommon. Um, Longo, let's go. Let's pull. Some, let's get some stories out of Negle. What do you got?
1: I think this was good. I think, again, it's just... Uh... You know, I know, like, you you know, the adversity, with you break in your leg, and I know, you know, you'll come back uh, strong from that. And, like, again, there's all different types of adversity. But even coming from a neighborhood like that and being able to accomplish what he accomplished mm-hmm. is, is really crazy. Because if you listen to some of these podcasts now, like, man, I'm 60, so I, I'm losing friends here and there, right? But these guys lost friends by the time they were 25. A lot of guys were shot dead in the street. So the fact that he was able to navigate his way through that, I think speaks volumes about who he is. And, uh, and, and, you know, another thing is even, even the, 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 parents that, that made that decision to go, let me get the, let me get the hell out of here. I mean, that's a big deal too. That's a big move when you have to uproot and move out. But how many guys I met back in the day, like what, why the hell did you move? Well, you know, my parents, they didn't like the neighborhood and they had to get the hell out of there. And uh, you know, so hats off to those people that made that move, but When you could stay in that environment and still thrive and get out of there, I think is a special accomplishment, especially if you go back and listen to some of the stories that these guys are now starting to tell about that period of time, the 70s and the 80s, when things were just totally different
0: than they are today. And the drug abuse over there, you know, I had eight friends, three of them went to jail, two of them got killed, and three of them overdosed. And it was a crazy, crazy time, even back in the day, you know, with the drugs that was around. And... And uh, I was fortunate maybe because of my training that I didn't get involved with the drugs. And that probably would would save my life. And I say it all the time. That's why I enjoy giving back whatever I can do to fighters or students and all that. But it definitely made me go to the left instead of follow the road that most of my friends follow. And out of those eight people, uh, every one of them, one of them... uh, Uh, we still talk about some of those old stories about where this guy went and that guy went and it was very, very negative. I went to college then too and the martial arts helped me pursue that. And when I graduated college, I came back to the neighborhood those same people standing on the corner that were there four years before that, you know, and you get caught in that lifestyle. It's very hard to be pulled out of it, you know, and I think the martial arts saved my life without a doubt.
2: Yeah, and I think that's why it's such an inspiring story for anybody and it could give different options for people to hear your story. And I do think if, if you were fighting and you were, you're were in in your heyday and the internet was around and you were part of that internet age i mean you would have been if uh, you know you, i mean you're you're a famous name inside new york but if the internet would have been around around your time i mean you would have been you know world renowned name and your story is so interesting and i feel like sometimes like you know because the internet was around, we're, we're, we're missing that. And that's why I want to get this this type of story out because it really is such an inspirational story how you can how you really stay true to yourself in every aspect of life and all different types of businesses in the worst crime climate area there really was, you know, at the time.
0: Now, those years were probably the worst, you know, I back in that crazy. day, you know, th- there were killings on my block. I mean, when the Banana family had a rivalry within the family, there were 12 murders within a couple of months radius and people would walk up of here. There was no cameras around. There was no DNA. And people say today, old school people, you know, if it wasn't for the cameras, the DNA and uh, why it's happening at the time, more people would be killed today. But it was unbelievable. People would be shot and board there. No one would talk of who did it. No, one would die. I didn't see nothing. And it happened a couple blocks of blocks from my school. There were two murders, two blocks from my school. And back in the day, there was, I think, 12 murders within a two month radius. Uh, time frame
2: how were the cops back then like you walking around on the street you know it, was it were they up in your business or they kind of were more hands off
0: you know the cops for some reason with the mob i mean they knew they were there and they knew that they couldn't infiltrate them at the time you know juliano changed that of course uh but you know they kind of left them they knew they were not going to be uh taken away and, and the mob was there to stay and they definitely but again at the same time if they did arrest you Even mob guys, they would get arrested. They wouldn't fight with them like you see today. There's no respect for the law today. It's unbelievable.
2: I know it's ridiculous, ridiculous. But uh, I think this is a lesson also for all any parents that are in a tougher neighborhood how they how important it is to get their kids into martial arts. I mean, because that's really what it sounds like. I know you. I think you had great parents too, which is obviously sometimes not something that everybody has, but. For you to get put into martial arts was the life changer and create these principles for you to live by and, and standards that you weren't gonna uh, stray away from, you know.
0: Without a doubt, the martial arts is the greatest thing a parent could do for a child, without a doubt. Yeah, I agree.
2: All right, Longo, we got anybody anything else we want to put out there? What do you guys think?
0: We got a show coming up, too, you know. Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. You know, July
2: 17th, you kicked right. my guy off, Tom Lane. You kicked my guy off. Oh, wow. He's, you, he thinks you
0: snubbed him. Tom. Lee. No, no. He's in the next show. First of all, when I spoke to him, he mentioned you. you're definitely in, but we already had the card made it, but he's definitely finding oh, October no. 22nd at the Tropicana, thousand percent. Yep. Awesome. But man. anyway, this is the flyer for July coming <laughs> put up. Put it up a little show. bit.
2: Put it up a little right. bit. I want to see the full thing. All right. We all got right. to clip that, Troy. Make sure we see that. We're going to put it a, a little higher. Put it a little higher. But put your face next to it. I want to see your face. Longo, you, Longo, you can stay there too. There you go. Oh, I, want a, I want a poster of this with you guys there. Look at that. You got it? Yep, we got it. All right, That's good. good. That's hopefully,
0: good. other fighters and other stars will emerge like you did in some of the great fighters that came from Ring of Combat uh, July 17th at the showboat, two championship fights, and a great undercard.
2: Yeah, I mean, Ring of Combat's where I had all my fights before I got in the UFC. It is – if you want to be in the UFC and you're on the East Coast, especially the Northeast, it's where you have to fight. I don't think there's any other options. That's the best, best place to get to the UFC. You're going to fight the best guys. If you're looking, if you're looking to just fight some bums, go somewhere else. But if you're looking to actually fight the best and the best rise to the top, and you're going to get into the UFC as fast as possible, there's no question Ring of Combat's, you know, the place to be.
0: And if you want to you got go balls, beat- go to the Ring of Combat. There you go. There you go. I like that slogan. I might use that as a slogan for yeah. Ring of Combat. But well, it was great it talking. to you sure. Great That's talking
2: true. to you too. We got. We'll do this again another time. And I, I want to really. I want to get into like you know your whole career. You know your kickboxing career too, because I know you were 34 and two, and there were some huge events, big, uh, big uh, um, events that you were main eventing. And, and you know, I want to. I do want to touch
0: into that. But Madison Square Garden when I won the championship there, the greatest feeling in the world. You couldn't give me a billion dollars, you know, in place of that feeling.
1: And yeah. I'm. Chris, on the side no, I'm gonna. I am going i don't want to do this to him, but I was a kid myself. Oh, my. Here we go again. Yeah, okay.
0: Just me throw play, me so, under the bus. When I
1: first saw a fight, I was a kid. I, I was at the garden yeah. a couple of times. I'm before. 100 years old,
2: Chris. You were watching them, You were three I, in the stands. Yeah, you was, seen kid, you the
1: I think I was in yeah. – um, you no, weren't even so, born I was in, I was in uh, maybe high school
0: I don't right. even know why don't I just go to pasture Henzo, Henzo
2: would say I wasn't even my dad's nutsack at that point <laughs>
0: uh,
2: but, but uh, yeah that is that is crazy well it's a testament to how good Negula looks if you were three years old watching him at MSG <laughs> I mean geez Longo you, you gotta start doing more red light therapy
0: but, Chris, keep up the great work you're doing inside Thank the you. ring and outside the ring for sure. Thank That's you. Sure.
2: You're the best. You're the best. I look forward to coming back to New York and seeing you coming out soon. I'll be in your pool soon. Without a
0: doubt. Take care, my friend.
2: That was so awesome being able to hang out with Longo, my guy, my head coach, uh, one of the mentors of my life. But more importantly, to have Lewis Neglia on. Um, such a cool experience. Uh, Lou, I've known for a long time. I've known him since uh, about 2008 when I started fighting. Um, he was the, the promoter of the Ring of Combat show. And right away when I met him, I just knew he was just such a good dude who I could trust. And he had the fighter's best interest at heart. And then you start hearing the stories about him, of where he was from, what he's accomplished. You know, him being 34-2 and two in kickboxing, being the trailblazer really for kickboxing in New York. At a time when nobody really even knew what kickboxing was all while living bensonhurst brooklyn the most crime-ridden area in the 70s and 80s and 90s uh pretty much all the crazy mafia uh, stories that you hear and where all the families come from it's pretty much exactly where he grew up and somehow he was able to navigate not getting involved in the criminal activity at a time when it was many people's main aspirations was to be involved with the mafia and he was right there looking at kids his own age making way more money and you know having all the girls and and the cars you know the nice suits and he chose a different path a a more noble path and it's interesting to see how why and how he did it um you know i'm happy to be friends with him and uh and i'm also happy that you guys got to hear that conversation again if you want to check out the full video of that just head on over to the chris weidman youtube channel where shorter clips of today's podcast are also available And if you aren't already, please give Won't Back Down a follow wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends about us. And if you want to support Lou Neglia, be sure to tune in to the next Ring of Combat event on July 17th. I'll be back next week with another great guest. But until then, I'm Chris Weidman, and this is Won't Back Down. Thanks for listening.